James chapter 4 is where we are, just like Jeremy said, continuing in our series uh, through the book of James that we have titled Wholehearted. So let me ask a question. Jeremy just set this up so well, as he has all through this time since we've been back in the building. But let me ask you a question. How many times has the backspace key on your uh, keyboard really, really saved you after you got an email from someone that you didn't appreciate? Probably, if you're like me, I think we've got a picture of this valuable tool right here. This backspace key is incredibly, incredibly valuable. It, it, it has saved us, hasn't it? Probably every single one of us in here have gotten an email before that rubbed us the wrong way, or we took the wrong way, or we got a little irritated, or we took something personally, or maybe it was true. Everything in the email was true, but man, we were going to let them get a little piece of our mind, and we had this email all typed out, or maybe it was a text, and uh, regardless... A little bit of a wisdom plus a backspace key really, really helped you and really saved you. And you were grateful later after the fact that you didn't send that email, that you didn't shoot that text out because maybe you needed to hear what was shared or maybe you misunderstood what was shared. Maybe you completely took it out of context or you just misread it, right? That's the danger of, of communication via email or text. But you were thankful that you used this backspace key. It is incredibly valuable. Now, here's the thing. If only our mouths, our lips, our tongue came with a backspace key, but it doesn't, right? We don't have that value up here. We do on a keyboard, but we don't up here. Now, we can take this, this picture down because it doesn't apply any longer. Whenever we speak words verbally, there are times we wish we had a backspace key, and there are times we wish we could take those words back. We wish we could undo, but it doesn't work that way. And what we find is often our mouths end up kicking into gear before our brain does, and we say things that we regret, and we wish we could take those words back, but we can't. Many times what happens is not only does that hurt us, we're going to see that in just a second. I had never thought this through at this level until I really locked into this passage this morning that we're going to be looking at, but I never thought through how Scripture tells us that words that are hurtful, that are critical, that are biting, that are, that are words of gossip or slander, ultimately hurt not just the one who hears about it, but ultimately it hurts us, the speaker, as well. And James has a great way of helping us to recognize that and to see that right here in this passage of Scripture. And so we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, and we're kind of really unpacking a little bit more of what James has already spoken of earlier in this particular passage of Scripture. This is a message that is completely geared towards just Christian maturity, really. Uh, this is not a message where we're going to uh, see the beauty of the gospel unpacked, even though it does apply. We'll see that as we move through. This is a passage of Scripture that's going to help us as believers, as followers of Jesus. If you've given your life to Christ, this passage is going to help us to represent Him better in this world. And so in a sense, it does intersect the gospel. One, because we should be secure in our relationship with Christ as believers. We should be secure to where we don't have to run somebody else down. But at the same time, we can find that even the words that we use ultimately help to emphasize the message of the gospel whenever we share it with other people around us as well. So James chapter 4 is where we are specifically this morning. You've probably run people down at times when they weren't there to defend themselves. I've done that in my life before as well. We all understand and we all have felt that tension of knowing we shouldn't say something about someone else and yet we go there anyway. And maybe it was a little bit of gossip 
We as, uh, as uh, folks who attend church like to couch that in prayer requests, right? Oh, we need to pray for so-and-so, and we're never going to pray for them. We just want to get the word out there, right? We want to beat, beat everybody else to the punch, and sometimes we're guilty of that. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can, can uh, say things about folks that are partly true, but also largely untrue. And even beyond that, we can say things about other people sometimes that are completely true. It's just none of our business to be talking about right, with other people. And so James is speaking here, I think it's, it, it's accurate for us to say, to every single one of us in this room this morning. Now, here's the context. Here's what we've already been looking at in James chapter 4. What James has already covered here, just in this one chapter, is the, really that tension between, uh, or that comes in a Christian's life when they try to hold hands with God and hold hands with the world at the same time. James in chapter 4 has been dealing with that specific tension, and he's been talking about how it's impossible for us to live with our uh, just holding hands with the world, living in love with the world, and then living, holding hands with God in love with Christ at the same time. He he virtually says it's impossible for us to do that, that if we're going to be friends with the world, that sets us up as enemies against God. And a lot of people try to, to, to be one thing on Sundays but then Monday through Saturday, they're, they're a whole different person. They're different in the workplace. They're different underneath the confines of their own roof. They're different with other certain sets of friends. But at church, right, they kind of put on this mask and put on this, this uh, facade that, hey, I'm in love with God and he's first in my life, but it's not evidenced anywhere else in their lives. James is going to battle against that mindset. And what he's about to do here in chapter 4, in this passage we're going to see, starting in verse 11, he is going to give an example. This is a, an example, kind of a living example. It's almost like James says, hey, let me just show you what this looks like when you try to be one way with God and another way with the world. And, and oftentimes, James says, it happens in the way you speak about other people. It happens when you don't employ a backspace key to your lips and to your tongue, and you say things about others that should not ultimately be said. And so James is dealing with uh, using our speech in a way that ultimately puts God on display. All through this book, he's given us practical things to help us in our walks with Jesus, things that are very, very easy to apply. And this is really going to be no different today. He's going to do exactly the same thing as well. So James chapter 4 verse 11 is where we're going to be. Let's go ahead and jump in and read through just these two verses that we're going to look at. We're going to roll some other passages of Scripture in here as well, but verse 11 and verse 12 in James chapter 4 is where we're going to focus. So here's what James says. He says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaking of another person within the faith, right, speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James packs a lot of stuff into those two specific short little verses. And you can tell that for James, this is a big deal. The way we manage our speech, the way we specifically talk about other people. Uh, This is a big deal to him. He's already dealt with this once earlier in the book of James. Back in chapter 3, he's already covered much of this same topic. Look at what he says there in chapter 3. Going back to verse 5 there in that chapter, he says, So also the tongue, that's a reference to our speech, is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. 
See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire. This is speaking of it at its worst. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the, the, the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. James says, every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and our Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. James has already covered this once in this chapter. Now, if your mama ever told you something more than once, you knew it was important, right? If she said it once on Monday and then Tuesday, you're hearing the same thing again, hopefully your ears are thinking, all right, I need to perk up and I need to listen and I need to apply what she's telling me because this is important to her. James is going there for a reason more than one time. This apparently was an issue, not because of the church. James isn't writing to a specific church. He's writing to a group of Christians that are scattered all over that part of the world. We see that in the very first chapter, the very beginning. He's saying this more than once, I think, because it is a human tendency for us to run people down with our speech, for us to trash people, and for us to say things about them that we just shouldn't say. And the thing is, James is talking to Christians about how they talk about one another, their own church family. And he says it not one time, but he says it twice in this particular book. And so this is a big deal to James. This is a big deal to God. I mean, God ultimately wrote the book of James, but let's go back to the Old Testament for a second, and let's see what God says in the Old Testament specifically about how we speak about others. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16. It says here, you shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. I mean, God, God takes this seriously. He says, in your words, in your speech, you don't have a backspace key. And once it's out, it's out. And that damage is going to be done, not only to the person that you're speaking about, not to, <laughs> by the way. Remember, he, he, he's not so much talking about you know, one-to-one speech. He's talking about one-to-one speech when the third party is not available for comment. He says, don't go about as a slanderer among your people, slandering others. I think the picture there would be they're not even there to defend themselves. They're not even there to speak into the conversation. You're not, you're not to do that. And by the way, don't just do it regarding your own people. Don't do it regarding your neighbor. Don't do it about others. It's, it's just not reflective of Jesus. Not one time in Scripture do we see Jesus trashing somebody by the way that he spoke about them to another person. The picture here is not just loving our own, it's loving our neighbor, right? Loving those around us that may not even be a part of the family of God necessarily. Psalm chapter 50, look at what it says here. Look at what the psalmist says. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you're pleased with him, you associate with adulterers, you let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit, you sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. Now let's go back to, this, to the slide right before, to the first part of chapter 50 of this passage. Look at some of the things in this, in this little group here. Uh, hating discipline, let's call that rebellion. Uh, uh, stealing, right, talks about a thief. Adultery, and then he gets to basically slander. I mean, that's not a good 
crowd to run in. God takes the way we manage our speech incredibly seriously. Look at what Peter says in the book of 1 Peter, the next passage, chapter 2. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy, boy, what a crowd that is to run with, and he lumps into that crowd and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. This is a maturity issue. The way we manage our speech, the way we speak about others, not only in the body of Christ, but outside the body of Christ as well, is a maturity issue. There's a couple of principles, I think, that come out of what James tells us. The first principle is this. God just simply forbids speech that runs down another person who's been created in his image. He forbids it. And it doesn't matter if they said it first. Well, Brooks, what about if they said this about me? They put this about me on social media. It doesn't matter. God forbids speech that runs down another person created in his image. Well, what if they deserve it? I mean, look, look at what they did. Look at what they said. Look at how they managed their life. I mean, they deserve what I said about them. No, God forbids speech that runs down another person who ultimately has been created in his image. Let's go back to the passage in James again that we're looking at today. Do not speak against one another. Brethren, he says, just don't do it. There's, there's never an allowance where you are supposed to do that. He says, don't let it happen. That, that, that phrase here, speak against, is a, it's a Greek word. It's just one word there. It's kalaleo. And it means ultimately, well, different forms of that Greek word kalaleo have been translated in English as forms of slander. So he's talking about what we would often call slander, speaking about another person, whether it's an untruth, whether it's a half-truth, or whether it is a whole truth that is not our place to pass along, right? You got some things about you that are true that really you hope others don't pass along. There's no need to except to damage you or to malign you, right? James is talking about that too. That There is never an instance for us where we, in a malicious in a derogatory, in a spiteful way, should speak against, ultimately, another person. Now, let's, let's make a distinction here for just a second. James is talking about condemnation, specifically. Not speaking against another person in regards to condemnation. He's not speaking as much. Listen, about evaluation. Let me give an example. Let's say I've got a neighbor on either side of me. I've got neighbors who live here, right? Who go here who are part of my neighbors, but um, none that are on either side of me, so I'll go there. So let's just say I notice that the neighbor on one side of me, um, after the neighbor on the other side of me goes to work, this neighbor likes to run across my yard and run into his shed and steal tools, Okay. That's not happening, all right? But let's just say. <laughs> all right. So this neighbor likes to run across my yard and steal tools as soon as that neighbor leaves. Now, I think when I evaluate this and I see this happening, there is a place for me. James is not saying zip my mouth. I think I would need to go to this neighbor over here and say, hey, man, 
as soon as you leave for work, this guy over here, he comes over. If you've been missing a bunch of tools and maybe some other stuff, I mean, he's the one doing it because I see him run across my yard and he carries in a wheelbarrow your stuff back to his house, right? I'm evaluating this. I'm not speaking against this neighbor. I'm helping to resolve the issue. That is completely different than if I, much like what Jeremy just illustrated so well, if I come to this neighbor with no evidence whatsoever to say, yeah, this neighbor over here, man, he just seems sketchy. Something about him. I don't know. I don't like the way he walks. <laughs> you know, that's a great, great example. And uh, you know, there's just something about him. I don't know. I think, I think when you go to work, I bet you he's coming over. And you've been missing any tools? You missed a screwdriver or anything like that? I, I, bet, I just have a feeling. I don't know. He just, he's probably coming because he seems like that kind of person. He, he just, I don't know, something about him. He's probably doing that. If you're missing anything, I bet you it's him. That is a whole different thing. That's what James is talking about. That's, that, that's, that is speaking against another person. Now, I made the comment earlier. I said, not only does it hurt the other person, you don't think you probably haven't had stuff said about you when you weren't there to defend yourself, right? We all have, we've all been someone's lunch when they chewed us up one side down the other and we weren't there. I mean, we, we've experienced that without experiencing it. I mean, don't think you've, you've been, <laughs> don't be so naive to think that's never happened about you. It has. But the thing for us is when we're the one who does it, not only does it hurt the other person and malign their character, here's what I missed for so long until I saw this passage and dug in this week, but it also hurts us at a deeper level as well. James kind of goes beneath the surface of sinful words. Look at what he says here. Let's go back to James 4 verse 11, our passage for today again. He says, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, here's what's going on beneath the surface, right? He says, he speaks against the law and he judges the law. Remember, he said, don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. He goes back to that again. If you judge the law, then you're not a doer, right? You're supposed to live this out. You're not supposed to just sit back and, and judge it. You're supposed to live out the word, the, the word of God. He says, when you speak against a brother, not only are you maligning their character, but you are judging the law. What law is he talking about? It's the law that we already saw a glimpse of back in Leviticus. It's a law that Jesus speaks highly of that when he was asked by the professional religious people, hey, what are the two most important commandments? And he said, love God with all that you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And by the way, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law that James is referring to. And when I trash my brother or my sister in Christ, or I trash my neighbor, right, and I speak out against them, and I speak out against them the way he says, kalaleo, with slanderous words, spiteful words, critical words, and when I speak out against them, what I'm doing is, is that I'm evaluating the law of God that says, love your neighbor as yourself, the one that Jesus put in the top two list. I'm sitting back as judge and saying, not in this instance, because my law matters more. What's that law? Self-love. So I'm going to run them down, and I'm going to trash them, and I'm going to malign their character, and I'm going to gossip, or I'm going to slander, or I'm going to say spiteful things about them, or I'm going to shade it just a little bit, or I'm going to roll some stuff that might even be true out there that just isn't my place to pass along. And as I do that, I'm going to judge the very law that Jesus says matters more than most anything else in this world. James goes on, look at what he says a little further. Let's go to verse 12. He says, by the way, if you want to be that kind of a judge and judge God's law to love your neighbors yourself, there's only one lawgiver. The lawgiver designs the law, and there's only one judge. He's the one who applies it. 
There's only one, capital L, capital J, the one, capital O, who is able to save and to destroy, right? The one who holds our eternity in his hands. He's the only one who can do these things. But who are you, he says, who judge your neighbor? And yet there are times, man, come on, let's just be honest, where we're just rubbed the wrong way or maybe something wasn't going, going well for us that particular day or it's a person that we don't get along with, or they've already rubbed us before, or maybe they trashed us first, you know? But we take it into our hands to be law and judge and to push to the side Jesus' law to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't want people treating us that way, but we're going to push that out of the way, and we're going to cross our arms and plant our feet and stiffen our necks against God and say, you know what, I'm going to say whatever I want about that person because they deserve it, because they said it to me about me first, or because I just feel like it. And not only, not only will they be hurt maybe one day, someone for whom Jesus died, but what James helps us to see is there's a lot of stuff going on in our own hearts when we do that kind of thing. A lot of serious stuff. A lot of stuff that has to do with our own relationship with God and how we view His leadership in our lives. Principle number one, God doesn't allow for us to speak against another person in the ways we've looked at this morning who's been created in God's image. Principle number two, humility just doesn't allow for sins of speech against another. Humility just won't allow that to happen. See, when I trash another person and I set myself as the lawgiver and the judge in place of God, and I've already replaced him with myself, and I'm determining what I can say and what I can't say. When I do that, that is the ultimate display of pride. That is saying, Jesus, I don't care what you said about loving my neighbor as, as myself. I'm going to say this because I feel like it, and it makes me feel better to vent about them. It makes me feel better to make them pay for what they've done to me or said about me. I'm going to do this regardless. That is the ultimate display of pride. And when we embrace humility and we see people the way God does, that humility, when it is in place, will not allow ultimately us to speak out against others. And when I think about myself and when I think about when I've fallen short in this area, it's been when I've, when I've been prideful. And I've thought I've had a right to say stuff about somebody else. I've had a right to run somebody down when they weren't there to defend themselves. But when I'm humble and I realize that, you know what, who am I? <laughs> Number one, who am I to judge anybody? Just like James said earlier, who am I to judge anybody? I've got enough issues going on in my own life. Praise God for his grace towards me. Why can't I show a little bit, bit of that to somebody else? So I think the remedy, as it is often, is humility. Look at what it says here in Psalm 19 as we close. The psalmist says, so let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. It doesn't just start with up here between our lips. It starts down here in our heart. So let the words of my mouth then and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a great prayer. If you struggle with what we've looked at today, man, what a great prayer to pray. Let this be my prayer. And what can we do practically to help us through? Well, maybe something as simple as a rubber band around your wrist, right? You probably got numerous ones of these laying around. If not, we got about 8 billion of them in our office, all right? 
maybe seven billion. We've used a few here lately, I guess. Just put a little something like this around your wrist. It's nothing magical, right? People may even ask you, who knows? That may be a lead into the gospel. You know, but whenever that thought crosses your mind about so and so, before it comes out here, you don't have a backspace, but you do have a little something that it just remind yourself. And that little sting can remind you that it may be a sting for them if they ever hear about what you said, but it's going to be much more than a sting to your heart when you set yourself up as lawgiver and judge over them in place of God. And maybe that'll come a point to where we don't really need a little rubber band anymore to remind us because that passage in Psalm is a part of the fabric of our walk, that our whole desire always is, God, would you let everything in my heart and everything through my lips ultimately glorify you, I pray. How does this tie into the gospel? Well, one, we do great damage to the message of the gospel of peace when we're critical of others. But number two, when we're secure in who we are in Jesus, that he's made us complete already, listen, we don't have a need to trash other people or to feel like we need to trash them to elevate ourselves. We're already elevated by the work that Jesus has applied to us when he died and when he took our place. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for a very practical part of James 2. So much of this book is so incredibly practical. And God, we, we thank you because we need handles to our faith. It helps us to see how to live it out. This morning, God, James has kind of gotten all up into our business a little bit because I think most of us probably have grappled with this before where we've been tempted to say things we shouldn't or where we have just let it out, God. And then we felt so badly you convicted us but God, whether it's a rubber band around the wrist or the prayer uh, that we pray from, the, from Psalms, Lord, help us to remember that our words matter. They hold life and death for others. Lord, we don't want others to talk about us, malign us and our character when we're not even there to defend ourselves. And so, Lord, help us to love our neighbor in a way that we don't do that either. And God, may we be secure enough in Christ that no matter what others say about us anyway, God, it really just doesn't matter because you, the God who matters most, the judge and lawgiver are also our Savior who has redefined us through Christ and have already said that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to guard our lips. Help us to have hearts that are pure like James has talked about already. And in wholehearted fashion, not only in our devotion, but in the words we speak, May we reflect you. For those that have never given their lives to Christ, may today be the day, Lord, where they lay down their sins and invite Jesus, God himself, who died and rose, to come and forgive and take over. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.